And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. Now, this episode promises to be monumental, not only in the course of history for the podcast itself for Fascinating Nouns, but I'm talking about the course of human history. How is that possible? Well, we're going to talk about a scientific model for free will. Are we in charge of our choices? We're going to answer that question today. And this is a model postulated by none other than my right-hand man from F Triple G B T, my other podcast about pop culture technology. I'm talking to the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. He's put together quite a little thesis here, and this is going to be the first time you're hearing about it. I'm very excited to talk about this. Now, typically, you know Dr. Michael Denon from a couple different places. Obviously, the podcast I just mentioned. Also from this podcast, he's been a guest several times before. And you might know him from Ancient Aliens, his work as the friendly skeptic on Ancient Aliens. You might know him from his several History Channel documentaries about superhero science. Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, and even some sci-fi stuff with Star Wars. Now, he's really made a name for himself explaining superhero science and paranormal phenomenon. Now, this is definitely a new area of exploration for Dr. Denon, but I think he nails it. There's a lot going on here that's incredibly interesting. It's it's very in-depth. It's a little dense, but I feel like at the end of this episode, you're going to have a new appreciation, not only for your decision-making process, but possibly for the decision-making processes of mankind in general. So let's get right into this. It is pretty exciting here because you are... The second, I wanted you to be the first, but you're actually the second three-time guest. Um, the first one oh, I had on. Oh, okay, cool. It would have been cool if you were the third three-time guest, but you're the second. No, that would have been really cool. <laughs> yeah. but the second one, the second one's a little different because it was a guy named Rick Wagner. We talked about Shakespeare, the Winchester Mystery House, and Oak Island. And he combined all three. There's a common denominator amongst all those seemingly, oh, wow. um, seemingly diverse and unrelated topics. Right. But he combines them all to a man named Sir Francis Bacon. But you're a little different. This is this is the third interview we've done, and they're all on extraordinarily different topics. And what's kind of cool is it's you know I think it's safe to say that we're friends, right? Or at least friends. Oh yeah, very safe to say. Yeah, yeah. No, very safe to say we're friends. Yeah. Despite that fact. It is very difficult to get on this show. I mean, you know, it's, yes. not, it's not easy. I don't just let anyone on. I don't care how good of friends I am with them or how brilliant I think that they are. I know. And so so this is a pretty big, this has got to be a pretty big I accomplishment. I feel very special. Yeah, I, I was going to say. <laughs> I feel cool. This is a big accomplishment because, you know, and I'm counting fascinating fights into this conversation, but this has to be a top three accomplishment for you. Yes, it is. Very okay. easily. Easily? Very easily. easily. <laughs> it's on the top of my resume. <laughs> <laughs> it's replacing fascinating fight. Well, you've kind of because yeah. you've kind of gone because the first thing we did, you were a superhero scientist, right? And then yes. we talked about uh, your divine science and more like a Catholic yeah. scientist, right? You're a scientist philosopher for this for this last yes. time, the scientist philosopher. 
And this, so it's like this big jump. You got a common denominator of science here, which is really interesting. Uh, but this is yes. kind of a leap for you. How did this come about? Well, I, it came about fundamentally because, you know, I study complex systems. As you know, I study mm-hmm. foam. I was not aware and of that. Foam. I was not aware of that. You were not aware of that. <laughs> and, and one of the things about all of the physics I have studied that makes me different or, or kind of in a more contemporary area is I have always studied behavior that we describe as emergent or complex mm-hmm. right, where right, right. the – where the physics is sort of new physics because you're at a new scale. And it almost all has to do with the behavior of the system, not just the individual parts. Okay. And so a classic quote by a famous um, Soviet physicist Landau and Lifshitz in their book, they point out that when a system is sufficiently complex, it obeys new laws of physics. It still follows the fun, the parts still follow the fundamental laws, but new laws emerge. Mm-hmm. And, I've always been fascinated by free will, just as a side thing. Like, do we really have free will or not? And one of the things, and and I'm an experimentalist, so I design experiments to test things. And, you know, neuroscientists and and such are getting better and better at what they do. Um, Well, they've always been very good at what they do. They're getting better and better equipment, right? Computers, Mm -hmm, measuring devices are all getting better. And people are starting to claim to study whether or not we have free will from a scientific point of view. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe the realization I had, I don't think you can do a classic science experiment that would determine whether a choice you made was due to free will or simply what I would call an algorithmic choice, maybe random, that happened just because of the laws of physics. Got it. Because of how experiments are defined, I think there's a fundamental thing you just can't do with science. And I've always been fascinated by Mm. the limits of science, which then says, okay, if you're going to answer the question, if we have free will or not, you have to think about it differently. And you have to come up with a different approach. And maybe it's one of those questions you ultimately can't really answer definitively the way we think of science having definitive yes and no answers. Right. Well, it seems like to me now you kind of made me dust off a lot of old memories that were up in the old. Oh market. yeah, no, there's, there's, there's a lot, a lot of, of that. Yeah, we're, 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 gonna try, we're gonna talk. We can unpack it, Dan. We can yeah. unpack it. We'll unpack it as we go. But but it's funny because I I looked at a bunch of old philosophy stuff. I remembered my philosophy 101 class. So we're gonna dust off a lot of things here. Um, but when we talk about free will, what we're talking about is basically this idea that we are in control of our actions and we can truly decide whether or not to do a th- something or not, correct? Right. Essentially is what exactly. we're saying. Okay. People have been thinking about this forever. The ancient Greeks, you know, Aristotle, okay. Plato, you know, uh, and then even, even after the ancient Greeks, you got Augustine, you got Kant, you got Descartes. These were all people I talked about in my Philosophy 101 class. And I do want to mention, if, if I may just take a little side trip yeah. here, I remember Philosophy 101 because growing up, you'd always heard that getting a philosophy degree was like the worst thing you could do for your life, <laughs> you know, so, uh, but I was always interested in philosophy, but I, you know, I stayed away from doing it professionally. I actually know a couple of people who have philosophy degrees, so I decided to get a degree in television, which was philosophy's number one, television is probably the second most useless degree, <laughs> but, but I, I, I didn't get philosophy, so my parents are probably, anyway, so... I remember being in this class, and it was the craziest. It was just a truly college class because the the whole idea is to think. It's to think about different things. And I remember this professor. He had crazy hair. He would wear a suit, and he had Asics 
nuclear green A6 wrestling shoes. He wore those every day with his suit. <laughs> Just a weird, weird guy. And I'll never forget, and this is a little uncouth, okay, so I apologize in advance. Okay. I'm not saying this for laughs, although it is terribly funny, but this is the one thing I remember besides I remember reading about Descartes. But I remember one day I was, I was a little tired, and I, I was in the front row, and I kind of, like, kind of dozed off a little bit. Sometimes you lose oh, a little body control. Yeah. yeah, okay. So I, I passed gas in the, in the front of the class. Like I just, I just ripped one, and it woke me up. And I was it was one of the it was one of the first moments where you get so embarrassed, you're startled awake and so embarrassed that I was laser focused. I imagine I don't drink, right, but those right. moments of sobriety that people talk about having. <laughs> but I remember right. just like up and like eyes open and like taking everything in from that moment on, hoping no one heard me. So those yeah. are the two things I remember is the teacher and that event from philosophy. But nonetheless, I'm going to try to keep up with you from a philosophical okay. standpoint. Well, well, the the interesting thing I find about this, so I have to tell you, this is. All right. You would think science of superheroes would have made me nervous, but I that was no problem. I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was always a slight fear what my colleagues would think, but I tend not to get embarrassed by things. Is that true? Though you're, yeah, though though your moment might have done it for me, but uh, <laughs> it was pretty oh, embarrassing. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, no, it. My kids find this a little frustrating. Like very very little actually embarrasses me. Okay. Um, but. But, you know, superheroes, okay, that's a little outside the norm. Science and religion um, w- was was a leap in some ways, but it was two things I was very comfortable with, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with my religion, I'm comfortable with my physics. So I am not a philosopher. I took one metaf- introduction to metaphysics class in college, and though I didn't have your exact experience, <laughs> it was equally kind of like, man, what is going on? What is happening? <laughs> and there's a reason I went into physics is thinking about philosophy hurts my brain. Right. And so, 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 so just so I can, we are we are equally qualified to be talking about philosophy. We, we are equally qualified. Okay. All right, all right. <laughs> but 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 I felt compelled because of what I know about physics to comment on things that were happening, particularly statements other scientists were making about free will. So I figure I'm at least as qualified as them. And I'm trying to learn philosophy now, talk to my colleagues and figure out how far off I am. And so far they've told me I'm not completely crazy. And, you know, they're the first people to say that. Right, right. That's a step in the right <laughs> yeah, direction. So. Well, I may it, have found my people. <laughs> you, you, you might be right where you belong, Denon. You know, it's it. A lot of the it's interesting your path that you took because a lot of these arguments about free will really are similar to the existence of God arguments, like yes. fundamentally, right? Like, because it's yes, we're talking about something as you mentioned. It's this really strange. You look like a Venn diagram. Like it's the center. It's this thing that is like explained by everything, but it's more like we see it everywhere, but we no one can explain it in an, in a exactly. way that's acceptable to everyone and definitive. And I think that that's why there are so many different, you know, so many different ways to describe it that all kind of work, uh, but are all coming from different perspectives. You perspectives, know? yeah. And I think it's you. You mentioned the ancient Greeks, and everyone. I would argue that at the core, inside almost every story humans have written and told, mm-hmm. and you're a television degree. You have a television degree, so it's you true. may be true. able to argue this against me. I'm, I'm going out on a limb here, Dan. You're the expert in this, right. <laughs> but <laughs> this I is a role reversal. All right. Yeah, I would argue that almost essentially every story at some point in the story contains an element of the question of, are we fated or do we have a choice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? If you look at every story, somewhere in there is the implicit assumption that the characters either were fated to have this happen and they had no control over their destiny, right. or they took control of their destiny and made something happen. 
and 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 people throughout ages have come down the storytellers come down sometimes they're not sure sometimes they come down clearly on one side or the other um but that really i think is the heart of the stories we as humans are trying to figure out are we stuck with the fate the universe gives us or do we have any control over our destiny I think that that's great. So with my television degree, I'll give you a, a movie example that has always really bugged me. And that okay. is the classic Terminator 2 versus Terminator 3. And that is at the end of Terminator 2, they literally say there is no fate but what we make, implying that right. you can change the future. I mean, that's kind of what they do. They go back in time. They send Terminators back in time. Can we change it, right? Interesting. Great way to end the movie. Great movie, by the way. Terminator 3, eh, not so great movie. Uh, but the entire the yeah. ending of that movie, which is of the same franchise, th- literally the the main character is like stuck in a in a bunker, I think, realizing that he cannot change fate and that the end of the world yeah. is inevitable. And so you have these two c- completely conflicting yin and yang philosophies in the same yeah. franchise, literally one movie after the other. That drove me yeah. crazy. And because it, it's like, what's the answer? And and yeah. but I think you might be right. I think maybe this is at the core. You know, even. Boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. It's what are the choices he right. made, you know, to, to it's true. Yep. What is he doing? Yep. Yeah. So it, it that's one of the other reasons I got into this, Dan. And, and I do think part of it for me is at the core, I certainly experience that I have free will, but I also know it's limited, right? So mm-hmm. I think we can rule off the table that I can choose to do anything I want. Right. I certainly can't choose to fly right now spontaneously without buying an airplane ticket, going to the airport and getting in right, the plane. Right, right, right. Right, like I can't just, sit here and make myself fly. The laws of physics work. Yeah. So that's kind of my starting point with free wills. We're, we're constrained in some way, mm-hmm. but I do believe there's certain choices I make that are mine, but I also know there are certain choices I make that are just instinct, like without thinking about it, out of years of habit, yeah, there's a chocolate chip cookie in front of me. I eat it because it's there. Right. <laughs> right. right. Like sure. I didn't really want it. I wasn't that hungry, Yeah. but my brain has been trained, chocolate chip cookie, eat. <laughs> right. Right. Well, because that would definitely would not fall under free will. I mean, what the, the yeah. free will the free will argument is really interesting because there are. Well, let's 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 get into this first. Yeah. So let, let's start right off the top here. Sure. So what we're going to talk about, because I want to hear about your your model of free will. Now, this is from what I understand, yeah. this is almost an exclusive interview. Like this is you've never really talked about this before. This is a exactly. brand new philosophy. Are you sure this You're doesn't? The first. Are you sure this doesn't exist anywhere else? So as my, my, my advisor for my PhD in physics said, uh-huh. it's always dangerous to claim you're the first because you don't know what was published in some obscure journal in Siberia. But, <laughs> right, sure, fair enough. Right. So I can't say it's the first. I can say this. I've talked to some colleagues who f- are professional philosophers at UCI, and, I, and they do seem to agree that there are a few unique elements I bring to this. Mm-hmm. And the unique element that I bring, I think, is the idea, which we can, we'll get into, is of boundaries and boundary conditions. Because it's a way, it's something that comes out of the physics I do that is not a very common element, I think, in most people's way of thinking. And most people who do philosophy have had some physics, and, when, and free will is fundamentally about cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And they're they have a very specific way of thinking about cause of an effect the way most physics does it, which is forces and interactions and things. Very rarely in physics do we talk about cause and effect from a boundary. But that is exactly what I study. And so I think that's why it, it may not be the 
the only person who have thought of it. And there are definitely elements I've taken from other places, I'm sure, that I've either read and forgotten or, or seen. Mm-hmm. But I think the boundary element we'll talk about is pretty unique. And I haven't figured out where to publish it yet. So, Dan, you've got the first Here it exclusive is. interview on this. this Here is it published. is. Well, it's funny because the yeah. boundary element is probably one of the things that I wanted to have a couple questions on because it, it's – it's tricky when you think about it, but let, let's see if we can um, let's see if we can break it down first in simple yes. steps. It seems, you know, from first glance, it seems extraordinarily scientific, and there are lots of people who have attacked this problem from a scientific standpoint, which is kind of more the way I go. We'll get on. Uh, right. We're going to get to my thoughts on free will. We'll get to them at the Perfect. end. I have definite thoughts, and but, but a lot of people have attacked this from a science standpoint, which I think is interesting. You know. It's it's almost proof like you know in some ways the when I read it right. it's almost like a geometric proof the way you kind of describe it, and so yeah. um, let, let's talk about it. So describe it in general what you are trying to prove. You know, obviously the thing you gave me is six pages, but you know, if like, give me the first grade version. I can give you the high level. The, the the two, I would say the two big pieces are piece one, and I think I stand family fairly firmly on this though there is a small space it could go wrong okay if if all that exists to reality mm-hmm. first of all i take the statement that reality exists right that's my starting point okay and and most people do unless you're an extreme skeptic right um i but, think you've heard me say this before yeah. i like to i like to modify descartes statement if i may um it's not i think therefore i am i think therefore something is okay because i i do recognize that i may be the world's most boring video game <laughs> right now <laughs> Sure, right, and that's possible. I, I did a show on that where, where you know, we, uh, uh, what if we were a holographic universe, which is exactly. a whole other thing. But but let's, I like that. Let's yeah. go with the reality. But you also have this very interesting distinction in the in the essay that I read, where there's the, I mean, it, it was it was. Let me see if I can say it correctly. But basically, that space time exists, and the way yes. it's structured, we know that the reality, the physical reality we live in, had a beginning. But yes. there is, but it exists. It's almost expanding inside of a reality that is non-physical that seems to possibly be timeless. Exactly. Am I saying that correctly? That's. I would say. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Okay. So those are. It's. It's a little bit of a of a head melter there. But but the the idea that there are two realities. So what you are talking about is the physical reality that we live in now that we can touch that may have had a be- that that from all we can tell had a beginning um so okay so go, go from there so physical reality exists and everything we know about the laws of physics mm-hmm. um is inconsistent with what i would call true free will the 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 ultimate absolute control over a decision so there's elements of physical reality like quantum mechanics that are probabilistic we have the second law of thermodynamics that's also probabilistic. So there is what I would call space for free will. What do I mean by that? Mm-hmm. So let's say if you're trying to decide whether to eat – my favorite example is you're trying to decide whether to eat cookies or broccoli. Okay. All right. Right. Okay. Um, from our understanding of the laws of physics, there's a certain probability that you would pick one or the other. Right. Based on the history of your brain, the state of the atoms, blah, 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 all the chemistry going on. Mm-hmm. So you pick one. Great. Okay, there's no way to know, did you actually, for lack of a better word, overrule the laws of physics and ignore those probabilities and just make the choice that I want a cookie nap? Mm -hmm. Or was it simply the laws of physics playing out and the 
random chance fail fell in the direction of you having the cookie. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, it, and and even worse, if you want to design an experiment and you or me, let's take me because we know how I'm going to respond. I'm going to take the cookie almost every time. Right. So if you calculate the probabilities, it's probably 99.999 cookie point zero zero one broccoli. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. But if on that day I say, you know what, today I'm going to be healthy and I take the broccoli. Right. You, it's a one-off event. It's not a repeatable experiment. You don't know, did chance just fall my way that I got to be healthy that day? Or did I actually make an act of will? And my claim is there's no physical experiment we can do to tell, because the laws of physics allow for choice, mm-hmm. but don't actually um, explain choice. This is the problem. The English language falls a little short for me here. Okay. Um, but so I'm going to separate decision. I'm going to use the word decision, Dan, to mean things that you you decide between two things, but you're following the laws of physics, okay. and choice is your act of will. Okay. Okay. If you let decision versus choice. Okay. Decision versus choice. We can't do an experiment to distinguish whether any single act was a decision or a choice. So that led me to the concept, and this is where I've checked with my philosopher friends. And this, the thing that worries philosophers about free will, is it's an it's effectively an unlimited power. Right. Okay. The act of making a choice has no constraints. There's no rules. There's no laws to it. Right. You just get to make a choice. Okay. And from a philosophy point of view, they would say that's incompatible with what we know about the natural world because it seems to be governed by laws. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. However, they do agree with me. If I place free will and active wills as a property of non-physical reality. From a philosophy and a science point of view, I'm now safe. You can't tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> right. I, I've defined myself out of the realm of science, and I fully admit that. And, and it's, in that, it's in that Venn diagram center we talked about. And it's about. in that Venn, yeah. Venn diagram. So free will, choice, is a property of the non-physical. Um, the laws of the natural world allow for decisions, and that's a property of the physical. Now, when you say, when you say non-physical, what exactly does that mean? It literally means anything that's not the physical universe. <laughs> okay, so 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 the types of things that people would ascribe to that would be like a god or or so, uh, or so God could show up there. Um, even something as simple as mathematics, like anything. Well, you can explain that with physical reality, though. No, no, but but math, mathematics can be used to explain physical reality, but we don't discover mathematics. Mathematics is kind of inherently non-physical because you don't discover it through experiments and seeing and touching things. You you understand mathematics by thinking about it. Okay, okay, that's you know, something. That's something weird too. Okay, <laughs> I guess I guess that's right. One of the major debates in philosophy right now is: is consciousness a non-physical or a physical property? Right? Is it purely a property of the brain and it's all physical, or is the mind also got some non-physical elements? And there's leading philosophers on both sides of that argument. Right. Well, I think it's interesting because one of the things that I came across, I think it might be Lifshitz. Uh, is that that is that that's who you're talking, that's who you quoted before, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, where he talks about how they did an experiment to see when you make a choice, what is the state of your brain? What's the chemistry going on? Right. What's going on in your brain? And what they discovered, you know, and, and especially with with motor skills, anything you would do with your hands, anything physical, right? There's a buildup in your brain that happens a millisecond before you actually make the decision to move. So right. there, there are there are chemical reactions going on in your brain before your decision happens or choice would so so there there's something so there is a way to to experiment with that from a neurochemical standpoint 
Right. But what I would argue, and, and I actually had an interesting conversation with a neurophysicist, a neuro neurologist about this once, a neuroscientist, mm-hmm. you know, that's all great, but you're still firmly in the realm of decisions, right? Like people like to take that and then make arguments. They've learned something about free will or not. And, and what I would argue is all we've learned about is the process of decision making. Right. Right. And in that space, this is why the boundary becomes such an interesting thing, because normally we think of cause and effect as um, I'm given a choice of doing A or B. Maybe it's either lifting my hand or leaving it on the table, right? Right. And I'm going to make that decision. There's a bunch of chemical activity in my brain first, and then my hand goes, and we think very linearly, and that's kind of the cause and effect. I've mm-hmm. chosen A or right. B. Right, right, Um the, the key piece, so I, I've given you two out of the three pieces for my kind of way I think about free will. First, I firmly place acts of will in the non-physical. The physical laws of physics and quantum mechanics, everything, allow for decisions mm-hmm. that have a probabilistic nature. Mm-hmm. Now the point is that boundaries come in. And and the the best way I find to do this is to talk about foam, <laughs> Not to surprise you there. No surprises there. But it's a great it's a great way to describe it. 100%. It's a great way to do it because think of the foam as physical reality mm-hmm. and the lab outside of the foam is non-physical reality. Okay. okay. Um, that would make you lab, God then, wouldn't it? That would make me God. Right. Oh, so there's, oh there's wow. Some, there's a little hubris yes. going on here. All right. Hubris, yeah. All right. But if I have a foam, the bubbles in the foam obey the laws of physics and you can do measurements on them and you can study them. And they're either acting like a solid or they're acting like a liquid. Right. And they can make um, the transition from being a liquid to a solid by moving the boundary. Okay. And so you you have a switch from state A to state B, which is like taking your hand and leaving it on the table or lifting it up. Mm-hmm. But now the cause of this switch is is a different type of cause and effect. It's a change of the boundary. So what do you mean by boundary? So uh, uh, a foam is usually in a container, right? And if I want to make it flow, um, maybe I move one of the walls of the container, and now the bubbles inside are moving like a fluid. So if I shake a wall back and forth, the bubbles can rearrange and vibrate. And, you know, there's nothing that violates the laws of physics there. They just went from being a solid to a liquid. Okay. All right. Right. And... So, but it required your hand to vibrate it, so it something in the non-physical. The outside, in the non-physical, exactly. Okay. So the final piece of this um, is I would argue that what happens is our brain, something about the neural structural of our brain and the physics of our brain and the boundary between that physical system, the brain, and the non-physical that it's in – if you have something physical and something non-physical, there's a boundary between them. This is the tricky part. You don't want to necessarily think of it as a physical boundary, right. but it is a boundary. It's not a membrane necessarily, but membrane, it is kind of. Right. But it is kind of. Right. If that is complex enough, you can transition to a place where what I, what I think of as me mm-hmm. is actually both that physical piece and the non-physical piece right on the other side of the boundary. And it's, it's that non-physical's ability to make choices that allows me to make choices. It's that interplay between the two. Okay. Um, and and what it, what's really, what I really like about this, Dan, the, yeah. the thing that makes I'm most about is, is it explains why our choices are limited. Because 
I can only make choices that are related to a change of the boundary shape that has a meaningful change in the physical state. Just like the foam, right? Mm -hmm. The foam, it's still limited by the laws of physics. I can't, by moving the boundary, suddenly turn the foam into into sand. Or gold. Or gold. Right. Yeah. Well, alchemist be I, I see where you're going there, Or Dan. chocolate chip cookies. I like, yeah. I like your, your trajectory. Thank you. <laughs> I went with sand. You can tell that's why I ended up picking physics as a job. I'm, I'm not used to thinking of money. <laughs> sand. Gold or cookies. Gold or chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> yeah. what I thought you were going to say, but yes. Yeah. Because we know we don't have unlimited choice. Right? We know... There are things that the brain, I mean, look, we know about psychological diseases, right? Right. Right. Those limit people's choices at times. But we also know, and we also know that just like the other classic examples, suppose you make a choice to eat better or exercise more. Many people make that choice on January 1st, (laughs) right? And how many people follow through? I'm one of the weird people who's like been doing this for 20 years. I am the exception. No one is, no one does this, right? Why is that? But I'm willing to bet that part of what you do is you, when you make a choice, Dan, you work at it, right? There's follow through. Yeah, 100%. Right? You're retraining the brain to stay in that state. Mm-hmm. Right? So you make the choice that changes the boundary condition that allows you to do the new thing, but the brain is still, and the boundary is still kind of flexible, right? If you don't then do the work to make that instinct, right? To switch from choice to instinct, it's not as permanent. And so we can see how these things flex back and forth. That's really interesting. One of the things, so a lot of what you were saying, it le- it's talking about this one property. Well, I want to talk about right. this one property you talk about, which is kind of the base of what your philosophy is. And also, I think it's it's kind of fundamental to everything, really. And this is the idea of emergence. You know, yes. the emergence-ism, I believe, is what they call it. But it's this idea, and it works with foam as well, but you know, this idea that a lot of simple, basically life, is, is an emergent property of it all is. the chemical reactions that exist on a microscopic level. And right. once they become sufficiently complex, they take on, you mentioned this before, they take on new rules that don't counteract the other rules, but wouldn't exist on their own. It's like the, the, the right. whole is greater than the sum of the parts is exactly. essentially what that is saying, right? I like this idea. And, and I think that there's a lot to this when it comes to our choices, um, because I, but, but I think this is, this is where, this is more of my ideas of free will. I think that we are actually more of a slave to the chemistry and that free will is more a perceived thing that we perceive ourselves to have free will, but we don't really, you know, the, the probabilities are very limited. Like if we were in the same room, we happen to not be now spoiler alert to everyone listening, but I could, I could decide to kill you. That is a free, right. The chances of me doing that are almost nothing, right? I don't know. I don't even know what the conditions would have to be for me to make that choice, but I have that choice. But is it a choice? Because I'll never do it, right? Right. So so then everything's limited. This is where, this is why I like this idea of the boundary being the source of free will. Because stop me from murdering you. Boundaries stop me from murdering you. But what it does is it, it points out that that it it is an incredibly limited space of actions over which we really have choice and how hard it is to execute our free will. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and, and I think that's the challenge. So the, the, there's sort of three broad things that could be going on. One is 
we have absolutely no free will, right? And that is everything is purely the laws of physics and chemistry and highly constrained. And, I, and I'm more than willing to accept that as an option, to be honest. That is one way the world could be constructed. I find it a boring option because it means you and I would have had this conversation no matter what happened. Like It's like, wow, cool, like nothing, you know, you can eat quickly end up where nothing matters. And it was something I've been struggling with. Like, if if you have absolutely no choices, do you, why do we have prisons and jails, except for the fact that our molecules have decided to make prisons and jails for other molecules, right? Like, because hmm. the, the basis of that is that you're responsible for your action. That's why we lock you away. Now, I realized in thinking about that, that, no, I think you could actually probably come up with a theory of being responsible for your actions even in a world where they were all completely explained by the chemistry and physics of it. But that's a mm-hmm. separate, that's a whole separate issue. That's another episode. That's, <laughs> that's four. Another, that's yeah. four. But, but I think your point is very well taken. Everybody, when they really think about it, knows that their choices are extremely limited. So if we have free will at all, right, the other side that often comes up is, well, free will is just an emergent property, right? We're sufficiently complex. And, and I've, I've read a couple of philosophers, and I'm really embarrassed. Oh, I can't remember her name now. She's at Arizona. Um, very that'll, nice. That'll fix it. That'll solve it. I know. I'm, this is, well, you know, if she listens, woman in Arizona. I apologize. <laughs> um, but she talks about free will as an emergent property, purely of a physical system. And, and the problem I have with that is, by definition, real choice isn't, as I said, most philosophers would agree, it actually doesn't have a set of rules that it obeys. So physical systems, emergent properties are about the rules that emerge. So to have a non-rule situation emerge from rules strikes me as very hard. I, I don't think you could go that way. And if it was an emergent property, I'm with you, Dan, it, you should have more choices than we actually have, right? If it was purely part of the physical system, we should have more freedom than we appear to have. But in this way I propose it, where it's about the non-physical and physical interacting across the boundary, there's only so much you can do by changing the boundary conditions. And so it really, it really makes it clear that it's way more, and this is what I like, I think what you have the most control over is your attitude, mm-hmm. right, in life, okay. right, and, and, and internal decisions. And what free will is most about is changing the state of the the overall internal state of your mind. It's a global state thing. It's like changing from a solid to a liquid. So if an event happens, you can take it in in a very negative way or a very positive way. And I just know, so as like in my role as a vice provost and a leader, I very much, when anything goes wrong, like my first reaction uh, is, oh, oh my God, life is just over. Like, my job's mm-hmm. done. I'm going to get fired, right? I have this right. total uncontrolled panic. That's not okay. But very, very quickly, I'm like, no, everything can be solved. What, what do I need to start thinking through to solve this? And I really feel this and experience this as a choice to ignore my reptilian brain panic and move to a state of problem-solving focus. And then my years of training, the chemistry, the instincts, the automatic parts of my brain take over, and they're very good at problem solving. Yeah. Well, so I like I like that example because, well, because I I have got an equal and opposite. Like sometimes when things like that happen, my reptilian brain kicks in, 
and uh, you're more flight. I'm more fight. I'm like, what okay. idiot screwed this up for me, right? right. And now I got to fix this problem, right? So I, I, I go to there, and that's not healthy either. I'm not suggesting that that is a better way to deal with it. And then I go into the problem solving mode as well. But I think. And this is part of like the crux, and I'm more on the side of this brilliant yet unnamed woman in Arizona. Right, I yeah. believe that <laughs> I believe that this idea of free will is an emergent property, but I'm I really think that 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 our brains are every little. I think that that, that the chemistry, all this stuff, can be affected on a on a microscopic level, right? Like, let's say the decision that you make, maybe there's just a little bit less cortisol, so you don't have as right. much stress hormone, and so you go a certain way. I don't know that it's so easy to change your attitudes and emotions because those are all the chemicals that are in your brain. What if you, you know, through whatever, you're not a, you, your body doesn't create enough serotonin to kind of calm you down and chill you out, right? Like, right. like there are these there are these accelerator, you know, these the like if you think of your brain like a car, there's these you know, there's the accelerator and then there's the brake, right? Yeah. If you have a lot of accelerator and no brake, there's nothing. You're in you, yeah, just just this idea of like, oh, well, just change your mind, and that doesn't quite work like that. <laughs> it no, it, it, that, it doesn't work that's like that. Exactly where I go back to the sort of flexibility of boundaries and the and the and the. I always couple free will with what I call discipline, right? If you look at people who are successful in these areas, right? When mm -hmm. they recognize there's a change they want to make and they're not necessarily good at it. Maybe they're unbalanced in one way or another. Sure. I firmly believe there's two ways you can change the chemicals in your brain. One is through other chemicals, right? <laughs> externally. And externally. And, and that's right. what medicine is about or, or non-medicinal drugs, <laughs> right? Sure. And, right? And let's face it, it works, right? It does change the state of your brain. Some well, of work, works is a strong word. It does change the state of your brain. Whether you get the desired outcome is different. No, right, exactly. It works in the sense that it changes what's going on in your brain. It functions. That's all. Okay. Right. Okay, yeah. it functions. Okay. I like that word, Dan. I like that. Right. It functions as a chemical. It but also, but look, we do know that there are, are, are cases of people with severe depression who oh. modern medicine actually helps. Sure. And, and so okay. on. Right, right. So we, we can do that. But there's also what's amazing is the growing evidence of things like really taking serious meditation or taking serious different approaches, um, you know, to the way you live your life and practicing it can also help change your outcomes for the better. And that to me, that to me, the brain, look, is no different than the muscle, right? Athletes regularly through significant training refine and hone how their body responds. So my example is nobody starts out being able to hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, mm -hmm. right? You're not born that way. You, you're born closer to being able to do that than other people. Sure, right? yeah, yeah, right? right. But even the best batters train to get to the point where they can hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, right? Right, And that is training the muscle chemistry, the brain chemistry. There is a lot of training the chemicals and getting the right chemistry to work so you can do that. And every athletic endeavor – at a very high peak level comes from training because we can, we are an interesting chemical feedback system. We, we're not stuck with the chemical feedback system we have. So where sure. I think free will and training work together is you may not be able to train, change the brake pedal as much as you want simply by thinking about it. But if you right. think about it enough that you can say, okay, this technique over here, if I do it over and over is going to do this for me. You can start doing that. And for me, like the, right now in my life, I chose to get a personal trainer 
that choice didn't suddenly make me stronger or better at doing weights or anything like that. Um, but the repeated going to them has made me better. Yeah, but but uh, but I, I failed to see how this this proves fr- free will, a choice that exists outside. Oh, it doesn't like, prove it at all. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, yeah, right. I can't prove I can't prove free will. Uh-huh. I'm just saying, it, to me, it's narrowing down the moments in which free will is happening. Okay. I think what what I'm doing. So I agree completely with you. Okay. In the following sense, as I always do, Dan. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I always. I know, I know, it's weird. But free will has a very small, narrow space it can act in. And free will alone does not change your life. It's a weird combination of free will. Maybe a, a better way to say it is repeated acts of free will is what ultimately lead to a noticeable difference. So I have to repeatedly say to myself, okay, I'm going to try and choose to calm myself down when this bad thing happens and not, you know, lash out. And by practicing that repeat re- repetitively, I get better and better at it because I'm retraining the chemical levels in my brain. Okay. Well, I, I like the idea of, I mean, I guess, and maybe this is my fault for, for the way I think about free will, is this idea that like we can do anything we want at any time, which I just oh, yeah, reject okay. that completely. But right, I like what I you're saying. people should. Right. <laughs> but what you're saying is that there are small moments when we can go left or we can go right. And this doesn't happen all the time. Lots, Most of what we do is actually predetermined in some sense by the current right. chemical state of our brain, our body, whatever. Exactly. And also, I should also mention that there are random events that happen in the world that yep. that affect i mean if you don't consider everything you know there are no coincidences that's another way to think about it but if we're thinking of it from a pure, purely scientific way there are random events that happen that you have no control over that exactly. you like if you're driving down the road and you get hit by a drunk driver there is nothing you could have done in that moment except maybe swerve out of the way but but your reaction yep. time is the same what you saw your yep. eyes work the same way like there's nothing yep. chemically that you could have done to to adjust that so like those random moments happen to everyone which changes everyone's life pattern right but right. i do like that idea of like these these small little moments of free will that can exist as an emergent property but it also begs the question and i don't want to jump anything too deep here um but yes where to me the question i always have is where does that free will like where does that evolve for lack of a better term like my dog right like i watch her think and she loves to eat food right she you 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 guys would get along she would eat oh, yeah. the chocolate chip cookie right, right you would, yeah exactly you and you well and, hopefully not because chocolate's poison for her no but, but she would myself, eat it <laughs> exactly my dog eats chocolate all the time right. I, I i actually have occasionally thought dan that dogs are evidence that evolution actually does not work because they should have evolved away any taste for chocolate because it's right. poison and as far as i can tell that's all they want to eat right no it is really weird <laughs> But but I watch her make a decision to like eat my other dog's food, right? Like I, I so so is that free will? Does a dog have that ability? And if you know dogs are significantly less evolved than us, but look at a chimpanzee. Ninety nine point nine percent or ninety nine point nine seven percent of our our DNA is in a chimpanzee, right? Does a chimpanzee have free will? Do they have these moments? Are they smaller in 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 their choices? Uh, you know, so like Dan, that you're exist? a genius. You're a genius. You're the genius. You're the certified genius. So, I'm just the analytical yeah. mastermind. So, so here's the final piece. Okay. okay. The other thing that I have studied in my life is pattern formation. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go to another liquid analogy for you. Okay. And then and then and then and then we'll go from there. Okay. Okay. A fluid. 
a layer of fluid in a frying pan, say, right, at some, at some temperature. The molecules are moving around randomly, right? They will never, by sheer chance, spontaneously organize into nice little convection rolls where in some places in the fluid they're going up and in other places they're going down and they're making nice circles, right? No one would ever expect that to spontaneously happen, mm -hmm. okay? If you heat this fluid from below and you make a temperature difference, mm -hmm. bottom's hotter than the top, there is a critical well-defined temperature difference based on those boundary conditions at which suddenly this spontaneously happens. Hot fluid rises in certain areas and then cools and goes down in others and you get convection rolls. Is it considered okay? spontaneous if you are making it happen? We, we use the word spontaneous simply because you're not actually like going in and dragging the fluid around like, with your finger. And like flicking the, right. the, the molecules. Flicking the thing, right. Right. Okay, okay, you have right. a uniform Fair on enough. the bottom, uniform cold on the top. I see. And these molecules form that structure. Now, there's two ways this transition can happen. One is what we call continuous, which is when you first go above the critical temperature difference, these convection rolls are incredibly small. And then as you increase the temperature difference, they continuously get bigger and bigger. It can also happen in what we call a discontinuous way. When you first change the temperature, there's a large jump and the convection rolls, as we call them, that you get are very large. This is what we call a, a bifurcation, the nonlinear transition, but it has to do with a small, a very small change in the boundary condition leading to a fundamental change in the behavior of the system. So what I argue, and I don't think the human brain is the only place this would happen. I don't think it's anything special about the brain, that, that the brain is um, human or neurons even. But the connections, the physical structure and connections of our brain, I would argue, is the equivalent to being above this critical difference, temperature difference. And mm -hmm. the new property that's emerged is not convection rolls, but is free will. Okay. Okay. And now you have a model by which you can start to think about other animals. Because the question you're asking, I can take your question and now map it onto a very clear science question. The question is, is the transition from not having free will to having free will, first, is it continuous or discontinuous? If it's continuous, then you can have creatures with less free will than us and more free will than us, okay. right? Depending, like you can imagine evolving more control, right? A more complex brain, more of the boundary interaction. And you can certainly imagine we're, you know, we're at a slightly higher temperature difference, to use the analogy, and our dog, the dogs are maybe a little lower. So they have some moments of free will, but less. Okay. Okay. Right. okay. You could also imagine the way it works is it's discontinuous, and we're the first, you know, our brain is sufficiently complex that we're the first ones to have free will. And what dogs and chimpanzees are really exhibiting is just what I would call normal physics decision making, right? They don't have these rare moments of true choice. What they're just doing is they're rolling the quantum dice, right? They're walking up, the chemicals are happening in their brain, and their brain says, oh, look, there's two things we can do here. Let's roll the dice, see which way the wave function goes. Oh, we're going right. Let's mm -hmm. eat, eat the other dog's food, right. right? So because from the outside, you don't know whether a decision was true choice or just a physics decision, right. and there's not an experiment you can easily do, we need to come up with another way to explore and answer this question. But the other nice idea, by thinking about free will in this boundary idea 
and that it has to do with the level of complexity of the boundary. That's the same as in physics saying it has to do with the temperature difference in the fluid, right? The bigger I make the temperature difference, eventually there's a critical point, I get a new state, and then things happen. This boundary allows you to think about it in the same way. So what I like about I know this is kind of a self-statement. What I like about my theory, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it 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 almost makes some predictions. What what is what it what is true is it's still not a scientific theory in the sense that there's no prediction it can make that I mm-hmm. think you can um, validate or or more importantly that you can't show a negative result in an experiment, which is what we always want, right? You want to be able to have something that can be falsified, right? Yeah. Quantum mechanics and the probability stuff that we know about physical laws makes it very hard to falsify anything you say about free will, Mm -hmm. right? Because it always leaves a little bit of space for something to have been a true choice, not just the laws of physics. That's that's the key dilemma from a science side. What I've tried to do, though, is, is make something that actually has a little bit of sort of predictive or consistent power. And what I... I, I thought exactly about my dog. I had the same question you had, Dan. You look mm-hmm. at the dog and you're like, are you actually making decisions or are you just always going for the closest food? <laughs> right. Well, my dog is definitely making decisions. My dog is very smart. So it's scary smart. Yeah. And again, decisions and smart aren't necessarily the same as choices. We sure, discussed, right? Choices, it's an elusive yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I like this. I like this idea. I mean, I guess it kind of... I mean, when you talk about it being um, not discontinuous, I think is what you said, where it's, we are right. the first. That right. so that always triggers me. That it triggers my reptilian brain because right. here's why I don't like it. I don't like this idea, and a lot of religions kind of kind of take this on that human beings are somehow some special thing that the rules don't apply to us or very special rules apply to us. And and I just, I've never bought into that. I think we are part of the the evolutionary continuum. We are on one end of the spectrum. But we are right. not special in any particular way other than we happen to have a more evolved brain and we are able to do complex things in our brain. Maybe there are a few emergent properties that exist that don't exist in lower life forms. Uh, and even that term, lower life forms, just seems a little pompous and arrogant. But but I think we we are at the evolutionary peak right now, as far as we are aware of that exists on planet Earth right now. So that that always bothers me. And so I, I guess my, I'm more of the mindset that we are maybe showing some of these new these new traits. But that there's more to gain, and that even things oh, exactly. that are that are even you know below us, like chimpanzees, you know they're the next step down. I think they can do a lot of the stuff we can do. We can just can do it a little bit better. But we're not special. We're not any different from them, really. Well, and that's why the continuous model of this I like um, is, I think, very useful. Yeah, and it also reminds us that there's a lot of room to go. Yeah, of course. Yeah, right. And and I think you know, Dan, you know, one of the biggest. Despite having written my book on science and faith right, and, sure. and being apparently pro-religion on the surface, sure, yeah. there are a lot of problems with religions, right? Yeah. And I think one of the biggest one is they forget that not only does science teach us, there's a lot of evolutionary room to grow. Of course. Right? Like we're – we, you know, you talk – if we use the poor, lower, and higher life form designation, we, we may be higher than things we know, but there's a lot of room, headroom above us. Absolutely. Of course there is. <laughs> right. And the funny thing is, that's exactly what most religions teach, right? The point of the religion usually is pointing out to you that that something is coming, 
right? Like you are supposed to make yourself a lot better, right? Buddhism, you're supposed to reach enlightenment. Even Christianity is like, you know, the kingdom of heaven is here, but it's also in the future and you're supposed to achieve it. And there's a lot, a lot of, in Jesus's sayings about, you know, you better keep making yourself better, right? And yet people turn that around and they get in their religion and they're like, Ooh, we're the best. We're done. Right. We're cool. Right. right. Yeah. We're, and it leads to so many problems. Oh, don't even get me started. Dennis. <laughs> yeah. No. So I have the choice to keep you from starting. <laughs> <laughs> and I have the choice to not start. So yeah. I, I would, you know, in a lot of those examples, they're more like spiritual, mental, right. like, like, I don't want to say non-physical cause there are physical changes that happen, but they're, they're more philosophical changes. And they I are. think that, you know what? What both of what we are both talking about is there are lots of evolutionary changes. I mean, it is amazing. On another episode, I talked about how just the 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 um, the the foul the throughout evolution in in the in the animal kingdom, just how many goofs there are really in in genomes. I mean, even in us, we have a nerve that runs that that's like five feet longer than it needs to be because it runs underneath our heart because we evolved from fish, right? Like it's it's useless. Right, yeah. It's weird. And also that they have these, there's these micro evolutions around the world where you have, we're all homo sapiens sapiens, right? Like we're all, we're all human beings, but we all, we all look different. We all have different skin color, hair color. Why is that? Well, some of this stuff is micro evolutions that, that existed in a certain area that it made people have an advantage in that area, right? Like, yeah. like there are yeah. advantages to dark skin where there's lots of light, you know, it, it helps. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's a and, huge and you advantage. Need the light skin where there's very little light for exactly. the whole vitamin D processing and all that. Totally. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Like, like there's extremely pale people in the world and there's an advantage there or it just didn't evolve because it wasn't needed in that particular environment. Right. But anyway, human beings have been around for so long. We've created all these little evolutions, but we're all, even all those little evolutions we're all still human right like we're all still right. the same thing but now imagine if you were to come up with some sort of evolution we talked about this you know in in our gadgets and gifts, <laughs> yeah. triple gbt if we were to sufficiently change the genome to be you know have different powers let's say or, or, or take the human beings to the next level that, that all can still exist we're still on an evolutionary spectrum could we, we make are. our brains bigger could we evolve another whole nother lobe I don't know, but there's a lot. There's a lo long way to go. There's a lot more to have happen. Yeah, and, and and it's just it's just interesting, like how these things we're talking about now. If we were to add another lobe of our brain, would that increase the amount of free will? Would we have an override, a chemical override system, where we could do whatever we yeah. wanted? You know, like how does no, that? No, I know. Anyway, that would just, get very interesting. We, we we've gone down a whole path here. We have, we have, but. Did it make any sense? That's the question, Dan. I think it did. <laughs> that I had. I, I think it did. Well, if you can stick around, I've got, I'd like to tackle two other things here, but we don't have enough time right now, but we're going to do a little bonus episode if you have time. I'd like to talk okay. about technology, AI, and right. I'd like to talk about the paranormal as it relates to your philosophy, because I think Perfect. there are some really cool little nooks and crannies we can kind of get into. Um, yeah. But but how can people get in touch with you? Um, how can people find this essay? Are you going to publish it? What's going on with this? Well, yeah, I got to figure out where to put it because I'll probably put it online somewhere. I'm trying to figure out if I can break it into like a LinkedIn thing, but nobody reads LinkedIn, so that's not useful. Uh, <laughs> there are better options. But, yeah. but I am on Twitter and Instagram is Den and Michael, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Facebook is Prof Den and Michael. Um, and you know, one place I might put it, I I, I am trying to get on Quora, and mm, Quora. Okay. 
right, answers a lot of questions. So I'm going to kind of check out the Quora space and see if I can post this as an answer to someone's free will question. I got to figure out how to make it a little shorter too. Because yeah. like you said, six pages isn't good for that. No, no. Um, and, and someday I might get it into um, – um, you know, an actual philosophy journal, in which case you'll be the first to know, Dan. That would be awesome. Well, actually, I'd be the that. first to know because they tell me you'd right. be the second to know. Yeah, don't have them contact me if you get accepted. You should still get that <laughs> right. phone call. But I want to say, I want to be the second phone call. Uh, well, that's great. So people can get in touch with you. I'm going to, if you want me to post it, I'll put it on the website. I'm going to put whatever we want yes. there. Um, but that would then, be great. Then it is always a pleasure. And of course, until the next FGGBT episode, <laughs> uh, this has been great. Dr. Michael Denon, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. If you like the show, please subscribe on all the podcasting platforms. You got it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and of course, Spotify. And also, if you like the stuff going on here, we did a great bonus episode. For, for this and several other episodes, you can subscribe on the Patreon feed, become a citizen, an official citizen of the fascination and you'll get all kinds of exclusive content not only for this podcast but for several others where do you find all this stuff easy enough fascinating nouns.com the website you can go there and find not only links to this episode but several others you can also listen to the previous podcast dr denon and i did about lots of the other topics superhero science divine science and even this one of course about free will and if you like this show you're gonna love the other podcast I do, again, with Dr. Michael Denon, FGGBT.com. That stands for Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. We take pop culture technologies, tell you how to make it in real life. Incredible stuff. And if you like both of those shows, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJakeLen.com to learn more. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.